I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode one of Flames Nation Radio, uh, the podcast of Flames Nation, the website. So uh, we're going to start off this week with uh, just a a quick two-person podcast, and we'll see how this goes week to week. Our our thought process is uh, uh, we'll uh, have various members of the Flame Nation family and potentially other members of the Nation Network family uh, pop in and uh, say hello from time to time. But this week, it's uh, myself, Ryan Pike, managing editor of Flames Nation, along with uh, Flames Nation staff writer, Shane Stevenson. Hi, Shane. Hey, it's nice. How's it going, Pike? Ah, not bad. It's uh, As we're recording this, this is uh, it's Wednesday, and uh, we're about to see the puck drop of Toronto and Montreal, something that will definitely herald the uh, the onset of hockey in this great nation. I believe it'll be the first game to take place in Canada in front of a lot of fans in a long, long time. It's just fun to see. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we figure uh, we got a few days before the Calgary Flames open their 2021-22 season in another All-Canadian matchup on Saturday night, Hockey Night in Canada, the late game against the Edmonton Oilers. So nice, a nice couple uh, All-Canadian matchups to, to bookend the, the first week of the season. But we figured we might as well walk you through uh, the 21-22 Flames because there's been some changes and some of them are good and some of them might be less good. So I guess we'll start off uh, on the back end because the Flames got a new goaltender. So returning from uh, last season is goaltender Jacob Markstrom. He uh, came in with much ballyhoo and fanfare uh, last uh, spring, winter, spring, last offseason, the offseason of 2020-2021. Much ballyhoo, recruited from the Vancouver Canucks, and then he was was okay. I mean, what do you think, Shane? I, I think... I think Markstrom himself would admit he didn't have the season he wanted. And part of it was the flames defensively were kind of a mess. And also he had a concussion and then between getting used to Daryl Sutter's new style for the deep, for the, the end zone play and getting your mojo back after having your, uh, your brain damaged. I, I think he much rather just sort of throw out the tape from last year and go back to basics this year. I think uh, I think the injury really offset him uh, and it really s- screwed up the middle chunk of his season. Um, if, if you look at how he started and how he ended, he was the quality goaltender the Flames were looking for. You know, he's posting, you know, he wasn't letting in weak goals. Like uh, if you look at the goals that were scored against him, they were high danger chances going by, which is what you want. You don't want your goalie giving up those low danger chances every game, which 
which uh, in, in Sutter hockey don't come along too often. Uh, it's a pretty structured system. And, and I, I really feel Markstrom could take, he's going to have a good year just based on the structure that the Flames are going to play. So uh, I, as long as he stays healthy, he's supposed to be one of the best goalies in the league. Um, but he was before. Uh, there's no real reason to believe why he can't do it again. So uh, I, I'm on team. I'm full on team Markstrom this year. For, for me, like I'm, I was a big, big save Dave guy. Like David Riddick, if you if you've dealt with him or seen him in the media, David Riddick is just a weird, wacky, fun guy, and he's he, an easy guy to like. And you know, he he plays with that emotion. And I think you know one of the challenges the Flames had last season was you know especially we saw this this kind of thing during the Kippersoft years too. So I don't think it's necessarily just a Markstrom thing or just a Daryl Sutter thing, but you know, just the inability to go to the backup as often as they needed to, because, you know, we saw, you know, if, if you don't think that the guys in front of the goaltender are giving him a fighting chance, you don't want to throw your backup in because, you know, at the very least, if your team is garbage in front of the, a, a good goaltender, a guy you have some, some hopes for some, some, you know, some love for th- throwing in your backup, it isn't really fair to the backup, you know? So I can kind of understand why they didn't go to Riddick very often last year, but I think, you know, it put a lot, it put a lot of mileage on Markstrom early and he's a guy who likes to play a lot, but I think, like you said, I think, uh, I think he'll be better this year. I don't know. I, I think everything for him that could go wrong last year did go wrong, but I think he'll be, he'll be, you know, much more, you know, in sync and have a bit more mojo. I think the the wild card, speaking of backups is his, his new caddy, uh, Dan Vladar, uh, you know, uh, the flames acquired him from a third for, with uh, a third round pick, uh, from Boston for, you know, just basically, you know, Jordan Siglet and the flames goaltending staff saw this guy as a diamond in the rough and said, he's on, he he's waiver eligible this year. So Boston was facing the chance of losing him for free. Uh, so they traded him to Calgary for a pick and he played the most minutes of any goaltender in the preseason of any team in the preseason. And he looked pretty good to very good, depending on the day. So is he the answer as, as the number two machine? I I like the, the one main thing I like about Vladar's camp was when he did the split squad games to start, you know, he did, he came in, he showed that he could come in and without starting a game and still play effectively, which is huge as a backup. If you ever need that to stay in a game. So the, he showed that as well as just solid all around play. And he, he, the one thing people don't, maybe casual fans don't know about Vladar is he's huge. He's the same size as Markstrom and he's got the same athleticism. He made maybe the save of the preseason when he double stacked the pads. Reverse, the, the no look, reverse, not even the, the, what the inverted or no look he had his, for, for those of you who didn't see the game, uh, he, he basically, the, the, the traditional st- pad stack is you, you're facing the play and you stack the pads and try to basically take away the bottom half of the net. He was facing away from the net and basically, you know, exposed his calves, but took away the entire backside of the net and made a save. Like it's weird. It's in a, you know, the second preseason game of this of the year. And you're wondering, wow, too bad. Nobody saw that, but yeah, yeah like yeah. It, was, it was, it was a very impressive save. And afterwards he sort of just shrugged the, when we were talking to him post game in the media room, he just sort of shrugged and was like, kept the puck out, but we still lost. I think they lost that game. And he was more bummed about the fact that they lost in a preseason game. than the fact that he did something very cool. The, the other thing about Vladar is his work didn't go unnoticed. 
yeah, I, I've been listening. I, I've been very conscious to listen to what Daryl says in his, in his pressers. And he single singled out Vladar as someone who was constantly there every single game. And he doesn't normally do that. He doesn't normally single people out. He'll just talk about team success and what the team's doing. If, if asked an individual question, he kind of gives you a brief answer. So it means something as well that Daryl recognized the work Vladar put in and, and it maybe it translates to more starts, but it really depends how the season goes. Markstrom's the number one guy and they're going to ride or die with him. And especially off the start. So it's nice to have Vladar there, but the flames playoff success is, 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 and it is on Markstrom's shoulders. So I'll, I'll agree with you there, but I think whether the planes make the playoffs or not depends on if they can have some trust in Dan Vladar early on and use him because, you know, the, the flames, their, their travel schedule is not terrible. They're about middle of the road in the division. I think they're out of the eight teams in the, in the Pacific division, they have, I think the, the sixth most uh, mileage traveled. They have like the third most back-to-back. So it sort of balances out, but the, tra- you know, back-to-backs aren't really too, too bad. I've been told from, from players, it's the games and the travel where you don't really have a lot of downtime to relax that kills you. And so the travel's not too bad. So, you know, for a team that's sort of one of the older teams in the league, I think they're averaging right now, like about 28 years old. It's, it's one of those things where I think they can probably keep a decent schedule and keep uh, Markstrom healthy. And, and fresh, but I think, you know, it, it, we saw this with, uh, with Eddie Lack, uh, the year he came in and he ended up coming in was just atrocious in a handful of starts, primarily starting in like the second half of back-to-backs, you know, second day and in, in second game in as many nights, almost always on the road. And he didn't really seem like he had much rhythm. And then that's what got David Riddick is starting the NHL because I think the players figured, well, Eddie Lack's not working out. So you might as well try this other guy. And it turned out pretty well for them. But if Dan Vladar can show that he can take those, you know, those less favorable opportunities to play and win more often than not, then I think he'll, he'll be a good, uh, a good fit. And, you know, if you can, I think if, if you're Dan Vladar, if you can get 25 starts and maybe win, you know, but 17, 18, 19 games, like finish a bit above 500 in those games and then give, give uh, Markstrom a couple extra days off you know, if you've looked at the folks, if you've looked at the schedule, uh, the NHL season is 200 days this year. It lasts straight through to April 29th. You're going to want to have some nights to give Markstrom an extra day of rest in March and April. So can you trust Dan Vladar to win those games here and there in March and April? Another wrinkle I'll just bring up is um, the possibility of Markstrom playing for the Olympics as well. Um, he's certainly going to be on Team Sweden's radar. So when most teams get that break, uh, he, he, I'm, I, 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 w- I don't think I'm wrong in saying he would be the projected starter at this point. Because Ro- Robin Lehner is Swedish, right? Robin Lehner is w- as well. So he'd be competing with him, guys. but it, it, that'd be a healthy competition. And you know, it's, it, those guys want to play for their country. Like that, that's, that's a huge stage and they want that. They want that gold medal. I mean, who wouldn't? And so that, that's just another added wrinkle. And that's why uh, Vladar uh, hopefully being what we, we, what he was in the preseason all year would be huge because then coming back off the Olympic break, he can give the team some solid play. Then there's not really a lull, which we've seen happen in years past when they come off long extended breaks. Um, the, the only, the only out thing I've seen lately was after they had an extended break last season, they actually came out stronger, but that was the first extended time they had to practice with Daryl as the coach. So I'm interested to see, 
what he can do, Vladar. And I, I really do have high hopes for him. And the acquisition cost was well worth it in my mind because there's, there's, there was no one else really ready to take the reins. You, you, you've cycled through how many goaltenders to try to be starters and backups in years past. It's nice to take a bet on a younger guy as well. I'll, I'll say this before we move on to the, to the defensive pairs. Uh, if Dan Vladar is good enough to get serious consideration for the Czech national team for the Olympics, if he's on that team or good enough in serious contention for that team, I think the Flames make the playoffs because if Vladar is good enough that he's making enough noise that uh, the Czechs want him or he's even on that team, then I think there's enough good things going on that the Flames will have some breathing room. And breathing room is something that they desperately, desperately need. Let's move on. Let's move on to the back end. Uh, so the Flames have eight defensemen in camp right now. Will they have eight defensemen all year? Who knows? They're probably going to have to wave somebody at some point. Uh, but uh, four pairs uh, will go, I guess, top to bottom for the pairs. Uh, pair one uh, is 24-year-old Noah Hannafin and 24-year-old Rasp Sanderson. Uh, pairing two is newly acquired Nikita Zadorov, a 26-year-old Russian, paired with last year's probably defensive MVP, Chris Tanev, who is 31. Uh, Yusuf Alamaki is back. He's 23, and he's paired with another new acquisition, right shot, stay-at-home blue liner, Eric Goodbranson, who – We'll get into later. Uh, Oliver Shillington has made the team, at least for now. He's 24. He's been a pro since he was 16 uh, in the very, in various leagues. He's more likely than not going to be paired with Michael Stone, at least to start. Michael Stone's 31 and is on, I think, his fifth different contract with the Flames, fourth or fifth. He's still getting he, – his buyout from uh, two years ago is no longer on the cap, so he's just getting paid one paycheck per pay cycle like a sucker. But – I don't know. I, I'll say this about the Flames defense. Uh, I kind of like the stylistic matchup of it right now because if you look up and down, you know, it's sort of outside of maybe Hannafin and Anderson because both those guys are sort of up-tempo, mobile guys. But you have a stay-at-home guy and then a more puck-moving mobile guy who can sort of go roaming around and jump into the rush a bit. So it kind of works. They, you know, it's been sort of a stylistic uh, you know, thing that Flames have done, really dating back to when they had uh, Noah Hannafin and Travis Hamannick as a pairing as a second pair. Uh, so they always seem to have like one pair that's you know, a couple guys who can just jump, both jump in the play and activate. But you know, I, I'm, not, I'm what, what really jumps out to you about the, the, the defensive group, Shane? I was very happy when they put Hannafin and Anderson back together because we know Hannafin Tanev works. And we know Hannafin Tanev works to a tremendous extent. And we didn't really talk about it in season, but when it gets into a pinch in a tight game, Sutter will change who goes out and changes lines. Um, it, it's something that we've seen happen. So in a pinch, if it's 2-1 and – two minutes left and he wants Hannafin and Tanev out there. He'll put Hannafin and Tanev out there knowing full well that they work well together. Um, but you know, you don't start the game with two minutes left. And so you need quality play to go throughout and Hannafin and Anderson over the years have done, have they just worked together ever since every time they've had sampling together, the majority of the sampling sees them on the better side of the shot share, the better side of the attempting quality of attempts, everything. So it gives them, it frees them up to let Tanev carry another pair and give the Flames a formidable top four. The question becomes, who plays with Tanev and do them, how, how important are those minutes and can that person turn into a quality player for the team? Now, right now, they've been using Zadarov. He has not impressed. He has fallen 
quite far from what I, you know, it, it is preseason, but it was, it was, a, it wasn't a good preseason showing for him. His strength is not transitioning the puck and it's not offense. His strength is keeping the slot clear. And that, that's what we need to see more from. And I do worry on a Tanev Zadorov pair, their ability to transition the puck to the forwards. So well, that, not was, that was sort I'm of just not a fan of it off the hop is basically. Well, cause if, if we're looking at from like a coaching perspective in terms of like, how is this going to work? Because, you know, we talked about the goaltending, how they manage that in game. I mean, you know, if you look at, you know, how they look, you know, Zadorov and, and Tanev are both sort of, they have some, some grit to them. They can play that defensive style. So you could, you know, pr- you're probably going to try to do this a bit because of matchup chasing anyway. So you're probably going to want to put Zadorov and, uh, and Tanev in situations where they're matched up against the other team's top group, top guys in defensive situations, just to get the puck out and sort of box them out. So I can kind of see the, the logic behind that. And that way that frees up Hannafin and Anderson, like all due respect to, to Rasmus Anderson. He's an excellent offensive player. His defensive game isn't quite as where it needs to be yet to play against high, high end guys. We saw that last year with when he played with Mark Giordano, because if Giordano is pair, you're going to play against the best guys in the league. And he wasn't up to snuff in that aspect of his game. He was good at generating some offense, but too often they were you know chasing their own end. So Having him with, with Hannafin makes sense because Hannafin can carry that pairing a bit, but also giving them sort of secondary matchups by using Zadarov and Tanev to sort of chase the tough ones kind of makes sense to me. I, I kind of see that, but I agree with you. I mean, Tanev can transition the puck very well. He's a good, he's very underrated as a puck moving guy. Uh, Zadarov, I, you know, you, you're probably okay. And that's, and that's the problem because, you know, if, if you look at that pairing, then, okay, well, what do you do with, whoever the third pairing is, because I assume they're going to rotate pairings, maybe, maybe one or two guys, maybe both pairings. So we'll probably see combinations of guys and they sort of had a lot of the same traits because Michael Stone was used last year, almost exclusively with Yusuf Bellamaki, especially down the stretch. And he was really good at being that guy, that defensive presence that Bellamaki could lean upon, but they were used a lot, in a lot of defensive zone starts and it was a lot of glass and out. And, it was basically it fell on you know Valimaki the puck mover and same I think the same kind of thing would happen with a, a, a Shillington Stone pair the same kind of thing would happen with Valimaki and Goodbranson you know you mentioned Zadorov did not have what everyone thought was a good preseason Goodbranson was also not especially good granted I'll, I'll concede that his playing style does not lend itself to sexy exciting moments the way a lot of other guys do but he was played a ton and did not stand out for positive reasons. So can he let the proverbial switch when, you know, it, it seems as if the two guys will see on Saturday on that third pair will be Valimaki and good Branson. And they played quite a bit together in the preseason and Valimaki was decent and good Branson looked like he was being dragged around. And if you have a veteran guy who's making almost $2 million, you kind of want him to be the guy dragging the kid around, don't you? So I don't know. I think, I think the effectiveness of that third pairing, whoever it is, will be an ongoing storyline because if you can have a third pairing that you can lean on in key moments to take, you know, a shift or two away from Tanev after he's blocked a shot for the third time in a period, or, you know, give Anderson a bit of a breather before he has to go out. I think that'll be big, but do you, I think they need to show they can be, that reliable presence for, for Daryl Sutter. I, I have questions uh, ever since the signing about 
good Branson. I understand. Uh, you look at the market, and and they wanted the handness of the right shot D on the third pair. They had Stone, but maybe they wanted someone more proven. But I and I I could live with the good Branson thing. It's the price tag that that adds a bit. But that's another thing. His his play in the preseason was subpar. Uh, it was there there was a game there was one game where Shillington was able to carry them to really good offensive he Shillington got the puck out he skate whether it was him skating it or making good passes he was able to tilt it and they weren't too buried so it's nice to know that with quality partner it can work I've seen it work once you need it to work more than once again they're going to be the third pairing they're not going to be relied on or put out in any major situations intentionally is the other thing. Um, so, but you know, the other teams can take advantage of that. You know, you get, you get caught on an icing with good Branson on the ice and Connor McDavid comes over the boards. You're not going to have a good time. It's, it's, it's not going to be fun to watch that. And that's the worry, you know, other third pairing guys, maybe not be as big, but they limit shot chances more around the league exist in, in like Matt Bennings and Troy Stetchers. And, and that's what I would preferably like to see, but that wasn't available. So when, when I analyze things too, I, I'm not rooting for the guy to fail. I want the guy to win, but when it comes to good Branson, his history isn't positive. He he's really drug most of the teams he's ever played on down uh, I don't think he's played any playoff games from a team he started the season with as well. I don't know that for sure. I'd have to look that one up, but you know, I, it's just, he doesn't have the benefit of the doubt for me anymore. And he's got to prove it to me that he's going to be the the guy that can do it. So uh, is Shillington going to make a step this year? Is Val Mackey going to make a step this year? I really both like their potential to make like Val Mackey, I think it's more of a matter of when than if he's, he's been lights out. He was lights out in the Finnish league being one of the best, best player, best defenseman on the team before he even came back over. So I, I really got good, a lot of faith in him. Um, I, I do think eventually we see Zadarov Tanev split up though, because of the, the lack of transition ability and the, you see a Shillington Tanev possibly, Valamaki, good Branson pairing, but then that leaves Zadarov out and that at his price tag most likely isn't going to happen. So I have questions. Um, the way I see the D shake up, I see someone with a significant way I'd like it. I'd see someone with a significant paycheck sitting out. That's not the reality situation is that's not how it pans out, just especially to start. So uh, it, we'll see how they start. Um, I don't think they'll sit on, someone being too bad for too long or keep forcing it. Or at least I hope they don't, but uh, the top end's really good. I do have questions about how man is going to work. Yeah. The, the margin for error on this team, I think we'll get into the forwards in a sec, but I like the forward group. I like, you know, we both talked about the, the, the goaltending. I think they, the, the goaltending is good. And Adam Warner is a quality third goaltender in your pipeline. Uh, to give Dustin Wolf just ample time on the farm to get ready to be the guy in two-ish years. So, there, you know, I like that depth. The thing I worry about, you know, you, you go get Gabranson because you don't want to have Stone, you know, a Stone 
you know, hangnail away from playing Andy Walensky in the NHL. All due respect to Andy Walensky, but Andy Walensky was here and brought into Calgary as, as AHL depth. Same with Kevin Gravel, same with Nick Simone. Like they, they have some guys on the farm that are absolutely good AHL lunch bucket defensemen. Not a bad thing to say about them as organizational depth, but if it's sort of like if, if the only thing you have in your forward group to call up is Byron phrase, something has gone wrong. All due respect to Byron Fraze, same kind of thing goes for for the the defensive group. I mean, they have Connor Mackey, who's not quite there yet, and then they have about three or four guys who are basically there to help them build up Connor Mackey. And if you have to bring up one of those guys, it means that something has gone very poorly, injury wise or otherwise, at the NHL level. So, I mean, we'll see how it goes, but I, I think more so than any other spot in the, in the lineup, the Flames are a top four injury or even a top three injury. Let's, let's not even call Zadaroff a top four guy. Let's say there's a top three and a bottom three, or I guess a top three and a bottom five. Uh, if one of those Anderson, Tanev, or Hannafin guys gets hurt for any prolonged period of time, you're going to have someone playing way over their skis. And that's not really fair to those players. And it sets up the entire defensive group for a lot of long nights. So fingers crossed. I mean, the Flames were very lucky with a lack of injuries last year. Chris Tanev's gnarly rib injury notwithstanding. I have no idea how he played for, the, for that long. But hopefully no one gets hurt and or no one has to play through anything significant for any long period of time because it's not going to be a lot of happy nights at the office if they do. All right, let's go to the forward group. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll walk you guys through what we think the forwards are going to be like for the first game because we have another podcast next week when in theory, everybody's off suspension and or healthy fingers crossed. So based on practice so far and assuming that Tyler Pitlick is medically able to play, who knows? He hasn't, he hasn't been skating with the, the, the forward group according to uh, Pat Steinberg, but he is apparently skating, uh, albeit on his own. So we'll see. Uh, so the projected lines right now, uh, There'll be no Brad Richardson because he's on the injured reserve. Uh, there is no Blake Coleman because he is currently suspended for the first game of the season due to uh, a hit on uh, Jansen Harkins, the Winnipeg Jets in the preseason. So the, the four groups are Johnny Gaudreau, Elias Lindholm, and Matthew Kachuk. Same group that uh, spent bulk of last season together. Dylan Dubé, Sean Monaghan, and Andrew Maggiapani with Maggiapani, I believe, playing as off wing. Uh Again, those guys played together a good chunk last year. Uh, Milan Lucic, Michael Backlund, and we think Tyler Pitlick, if he's healthy, who knows? Trevor Lewis has also been skating in that group uh, on the four, on the third line. And on the fourth line, more likely than not, Trevor Lewis, Glenn Godden, and Brett Ritchie. Uh, Richardson looked like he was going to be sort of tag-teaming that fourth-line center job with, uh, with Glenn Godden. Glenn Godden has made the team and Richardson is injured. So it's essentially just God's job right now. And we'll see how he does with it. But, you know, for there's something to be said for continuity. Uh, I thought the, the, the Lindholm line was very effective last season. Uh, I thought that Monaghan and the two kids were decent. I, I like the idea, especially with Sean Monaghan coming off uh, another injury, like, the poor guy, I, I wrote about this on flamestation.ca over the offseason. You know, the thing with Monaghan is he's been extremely productive, but, you know, he goes to what are known as the high rent areas 
according to scouts and hockey people. And the reason why they're called high rent areas is because you have to pay to stay there. And Sean Monaghan, with the way that things are called or not called by NHL officials, has taken slashes off faceoffs. He's taken cross checks to the shoulders, hips, ankles. Basically, he has been, you know, I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw him in the showers after a game that his entire like midsection from shoulders to hips is just a series of scars and bruises because, you know, he, he's 28 years old and he's played a lot of hockey and he scored a lot of goals but he has paid a physical price for that. And so if you have a couple of guys in Manchipani and Dubé who can, for lack of a better term, be the gophers on that line. And, you know, Monaghan is sort of a guy who can shoot it. And the other two guys are puck retrieval passers. That, that makes sense for me. Backlund and Lucic played together quite a bit last season and it were pretty effective. You can pretty much put anyone with Michael Backlund and they will be half decent at puck possession because of how good he is at so many different things. Uh, Pitlick, I really like the the idea of a healthy Pitlick playing with Backlund because, you know, it seems like there's some complementarities there. And then the fourth line, I mean, I think the challenge is, you know, Shane, you, you remember the Flames, the best fourth line I can recall having, all due respect to Matt Stage and Michael Furland and uh, David Jones back in the 2015 playoffs, the best fourth line I can recall in this uh era of the flames was that one from, I believe it was 17, 18 or 18. It was 17, 18, I believe, because I believe the group that they had, no, it was, it was, I think it was 18, 19, because it was what Garnet Hathaway, Derek Ryan in his first year with the flames and uh, uh, Andrew Mangiapane, when he got called up, I think uh, in November, or December of his first year, first or second year pro. And they, you had a guy you can hit, but play with pace, a guy who can, you know, be a retrieval guy and sort of take draws and, you know, be the connector to the rest of the team. And Mangiapane was just good at hockey. I mean, I, you know, all, he's not great at the physical stuff, but he's not bad at it. And you can make a case that Andre Mangiapane, perhaps from the year, you know, starting when he came in and as a rookie and, and found that niche on the fourth line, he still plays like he was on the fourth line. He plays with a lot of pace and he plays like he's a bad shift away from going to Stockton again. So, but I, I, th- I think I think the challenge is I think they have enough depth to run three good lines. You can play with pace, poise, and precision at times. That fourth line is going to be a work in progress, I think, all season. I think the fourth line needs to play what I call no event hockey. They're not out there to score. They're not. And they need to know that that's the role. They're not out there to put the puck in the net. They're out there to make sure you give the other guys a rest and the puck doesn't end up in our own net. So play strong defensive hockey while you're out there, get your 40 seconds in, let the other guys rest and get off the ice. And if they can, if that message can be communicated to them and they embrace it, then it's going to be they're They're going to find success there. That, they're, they're, the signings the flames made in the off season in Pitlick and Lewis, they were there. They lack finish uh, high end finishing ability and offensive play driving, but they're tremendous shot suppressors they keep guys to the outside lewis specifically is way better than anyone gives him credit for being defensive um so as chemistry it might be rough to start the season it might be these guys a lot of these guys are new the bottom six especially the fourth line is going to see a bunch of people that haven't played any extended period together um and and it might be rough off the start but uh, as the season gets going you're hoping from game 20 to game 60 that they're playing solid defensive hockey it's probably Lucic, Godin, Richard, Richardson, Lewis combination. 
Pitlick seems like the guy that they're going to move up into give the opportunity on the third line. I'd like to see someone with a bit more offensive skill, but it's not bad to have a defensive guy there. You've got Backlund on the third line. He, you know what Backlund is, and he's going to give you quality play night in, night out, best he can. And then you've got right-hand shot, Pitlick there to also play good defense. And that might free Dylan Dubé up to be more offensively creative, which is, which is something that, you know, where everyone's, everyone's looks at Dubé and goes, well, that guy's got the potential, but he needs to cap. It's about time. You know, it'd it'd be nice for him to capitalize, capitalize on it now. Um, We'll see. He's not, he's not going to get first power play units over anybody on this team right off the start. He's got to earn that. He, he might not even get second good. power play minutes with Blake Coleman coming in. Yeah, you know what? And that maybe that's I, I really like Dubé on the power play in the, pre, in the preseason. Him and Manjapani work really well together I, on the second unit. I think the thing that's going to be interesting to see because you know you you mentioned it like the the bottom six you know when Coleman's back off suspension probably Dubé drops down into that third line and then someone drops down onto that fourth line probably Lewis. And, you know, then we're probably Lucic rather. And then you sort of see things settle out. But I, I think, you know, the Flames are a group that will play what Billy Neiman uh, affectionately called hospital hockey, where it's a lot of low event games at five on five. They'll, you know, it's going to be a lot of two, one, three, two games. You know, Daryl Sutter's infamously said the NHL is a three, two league. So they're going to try to be the team that scores three more often than not. So you'll probably see them try to saw off at about even at uh, five on five. And then, they have to have a good PK to keep uh, keep them out of trouble, and they have to have a, a PP who can deliver. And I think the PK, you know, since Ryan Husky came in into the league a few years ago, the Flames been consistently pretty good at PK with like a bunch of you know rotating pieces through it. And I think you know one one pairing we will probably see a lot of is some combination of two of the three of Richardson, God, and Lewis as, as a, a forward group. Uh, utilized, but also, you know, Dubé and Manjipani, they, they, you know, Dubé is sort of being used a little bit as a center in the preseason because, you know, Daryl Sutter thinks that they'll need to use him in the regular season at some point as uh, another left shot center based on, you know, injuries, attrition and whatever. So I think those two could be a pretty good mix, but, you know, I think the the more that guys on that fourth line can be effective and on that third line can be effective playing that kind of, you know, low event hospital hockey, the more it'll give them the ability to take those key PK reps away from the Lindholms and the backlands of the team, because, you know, Lindholm is important. The power play Lindholm's important on, on their five on five play and Lindholm so far uh, since he's joined the flames has been very important on the PK at some point, you know, you need to save the best of Lindholm. We talked about saving, you know, Markstrom's best hockey for when it matters you probably want to do the same thing with Mark with uh, Elias Lindholm, and you probably want to do the same thing with Michael Backlund. Shocker, we're talking about key Swedes for the Flames. So I think if if you can if they can find some chemistry and some guys who have some who can carve out roles like Dubé, like uh, Trevor Lewis, like Glenn Godden, I think those are the the marginal things that will really help out the Flames be a more effective team and a tougher team because they're going to have to play really tight systems hockey all the time. And if you can, you know, keep somebody's ice time down by 30 or 40 seconds a game or two, one or two minutes a game, I think that can make a huge difference in their ability to deliver on what Daryl Sutter wants them to do. I think Dubé at center it also is it, kind of ties into what you just said about Lindholm. It is a great idea. He's kind of their fourth center or 3B, I'd like to say. 
they're a Lindholm injury away from having real struggles with their center depth. And if, if you view Dubé as just a winger, if, if they're a Lindholm injury away from there being nothing, Godin have to play up Richardson. They don't have the real piece unless they'd really want to give Connor Zari a look, but we don't know. He's been hurt since before the preseason really started. He got hurt in rookie camp. So he, he's, he'd be like the next offensive guy. And I don't think they're a fan of calling up young guys without actually giving them a little seasoning down low first. So Dubé being a good three B option means you could slot Backlund into Lindholm's spot, move Dubé over and then move up either. It, it seems that they really like to move up Luch each. They really do love Luch. And, and if there's, or Brett Ritchie, even they do like to play him in significant spots and you could have a, a Dubé, a uh, Pitlick, each line as your as a third line and then that's that's not ideal they ideally you'd want them to also align like that even at third line minutes to play Noah Van hockey you know don't go don't don't go out and try to score uh let the big guys try to do that but don't get scored on uh, is the number one thing there um I have two thoughts about the top six forwards one on Monaghan the, the, the number one thing I could ask for any individual player this year is I want Monaghan to have a healthy year. I think the new crackdown on cross-checking is going to help him be in that, as you call them, uh, rent cost areas. Uh, in, in, in theory, uh, we'll see how the calling goes. They were very adamant in the preseason to make sure they called it. And I think that's, that's good for them, the referees, to get on it and make sure they can notice it as the games go on. But we'll see going game, you know, game 50. Is it going to be called the same way? No. But is it going to be completely gone? That remains to be seen. It's the first year this has been talked about. So a healthy Monaghan goes a long way. And, and the other thing is you mentioned, and, he, and I love the phrase, you said, Andrew Mangiapane is just good at hockey. And that is just so accurate. I, uh, I have a saying people ask me what they think, what I think about Manjapani. And I always say, well, you remember how Neil Yakupov used to skate around the ice pipe? Yeah. He used to skate around like he was being chased by bees. Like there was always something after him. Manjapani is the bees. Manjapani plays in with such a puck pursuit effort. He is the bee. He's the bees that's chasing Yakupov around the ice. Cause he's, he wants that puck. He wants it. It's his, it's not anybody else's. He plays like he's six foot four and, and I, I don't think anyone, not even the coaching staff looks at him and sees, well, that's a small player. No, no one sees him like that anymore. He's just a quality top six NHL player. And I'm very excited for him specifically this year. I think he's got some offensive potential. I all would love to see him on a top power play unit with Lindholm, Gaudreau, Kachuk and whatever D man they use, whether it's Anvin or Anderson. And I, I would, I would love to see him there over Monaghan and, and allow Monaghan to center the second power play with, with someone with, with whatever's left Coleman, Dubé, whatever you'd feel. Um, but Manjapani has all the potential in the world. It's a contract year for him too. Um, he's, if he blows up, it's, he's going to get paid. And I, I think uh, this is long-term deal range. He bet on himself one year. Got the got the two million two point two five I think it is for two years. This is the second year, and if he comes out and does well, he's poised to be uh, not only a well-paid player, but a player that can be in Calgary and effective for a long time. So 
those are my two thoughts on the top six. Blake Coleman is, was a tremendous signing. He, he, he does the right things to win. Uh, I'm not, as it's funny to say, cause he did the wrong thing and kind of railed Harkins into the boards there, but, uh, but he plays hard. He plays with an edge. That was preseason and he's playing with an edge. He's playing with this, the, the tenacity that, the coach wants to see out of everybody all the time. Him and, and him and Matthew Kachuk on one line together sounds like a bad night for whoever's on the other side. I, I, it's funny you say. I think a lot of teams are going to have bad nights when they come into Calgary this year. They're not going to be fun to play against, regardless whether you talk about wins or losses. No team's going to look at the schedule, look at Calgary, and go, "I want to go play there" because they're going to be. It's going to be a gauntlet. They're going to they're going to hit hard. They're going to play fast. Cause that's the other thing people, everyone associates Sutter hockey with just being this hard hitting thing, but he preaches at pace all the time. He wants that puck moving. He doesn't want you to sit around and look with it. He wants you, you, you got to play fast and you got to play hard. And that's, I, no, I don't think any team's going to want to come. I don't think Connor McDavid's going to enjoy coming down the QE two five times this year. I'll, I'll say this, that the last game they played against Winnipeg, I think we got a really good glimpse of the structure and the physicality that we want to play with. I mean, I, I think that there's not going to be a lot of high-scoring games involving the Calgary Flames this year because Daryl Sutter wants them to play sort of structured, physical, organized hockey. But, you know, they're the type of team that will just sort of, I think the idea is, the idea is that when the last few seasons, especially, especially you know, during the, the Peters to, to Jeff Ward transition, I think the challenge is the Flames were a very reactive group where they were waiting for the other team to tell them what kind of game it was going to be. And Daryl Sutter will not put up with any kind of shenanigans like that. He wants the team to be able to tell the other team, especially playing in the saddle home, this is what you're in for tonight. So I think the fact that they, he's had a full training camp of a month to really lay down the law and really build expectations. And he had a full off season to really get to know players and to really figure out what buttons need to press rather than sort of figuring out on the fly. I mean, you know, all due respect to, to the people involved, but being handed the steering wheel of an NHL team halfway through the season is tough because you don't, you know, you, you kind of know some guys, but it takes you a while to sort of get a rhythm for what's going on. And it's essentially like say, Shane, you, if you and I were driving around and I just sort of said, hold on to the wheel and dove out of the car and you're, you're going to be confused. You're going to be disoriented. And then you're going to be kind of pissed off that I put you in that situation. And I think for the flames, they needed some time to figure things out. And, you know, it took them a while to sort of get their feet below them with Daryl Sutter at the helm. And I think by that point it was too late. And that's why they, they missed the playoffs by four points last year. They missed the playoffs by four points because they were too reactive too many nights. And I think, that you know they're, they're going to be a lot different this year so we'll see what we'll see that what happens i mean they they have uh you know it's an 82 game season and it's a team that's ostensibly playing in a weak division but you know if you look you know over at daily faceoff uh dailyfaceoff.com we you know we had the 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 our the panel over there do uh standings projections and the flames were i believe fourth or fifth on every single one so more most likely that means the flames to most prognosticators are on the outside of the playoff picture. And I think the flames, if they're not mad about it, they better be mad about it. And I think it'll be interesting to see 
what they do because you know one of my one of the best flames teams i've ever seen and granted you know they got the benefit of the doubt and the benefit of a lot of bounces i mean they had a, one of the highest uh, pdos in, in the league that year but the 14 15 flames i vividly remember they came in you know the, the over the summer they they finished fourth from bo- the bottom they drafted sam bennett and pretty much everybody in the hockey world were like yeah flames didn't really get that much better over the offseason we don't think they're going to do very much and I think those expectations were warranted. And I also think that the Flames responded the right way to those expectations. Pretty much everyone in that locker room acted personally offended that so many people thought so little of them. And they went out with the mindset that they're going to make a lot of sports writers seem very, very foolish. And, you know, due respect to them, I had to rewrite a ton of stories that year in the third period because they were, they were just, they were the bees. Like you said, kids, man. Yeah, but they, they pursuit comeback kids never quit. It was beautiful. It was it was fun yeah. to watch. So like ex- expectations can be good and expectations can be bad because when the Flames have no expectations, they're a fun team to watch because they play loose, they play, play fast, and they play like they just want to you know prove somebody wrong. Like they they just want to make people eat their words. So good. But you know we've also saw that the following season in fifteen sixteen the Flames were just they seem to be very jumpy because they couldn't meet the expectations that were placed upon them. And I think the similar thing happened in the playoffs in 1819. And the same thing happened for much of 1920, uh, you know, after they had that monster year and then got trounced by Colorado. So I think, you know, how they managed that, how they managed the ebbs and flows of a long season and how they managed being, you know, a team that, you know, most people don't think they'll make the playoffs. I think that most people think that they'll probably be a bubble team. I think they'll, you know, I posted on Twitter. I think they're, they're a, they're a team that'll be a good weekend or a bad weekend away from making or not making, And they'll probably be on that bubble all year. So how, how do they handle that? My expectations personally, when I look at the specific, especially specifically is my expectations is Calgary to be a playoff team. It is. Uh, I have questions. Seattle, we know Seattle is going to be a tough defensive team. And you can read all this in our Know the Pacific series um, on Um, flamesnation.ca. Click on it. We've got a bunch of various writers writing about them, and you can see all these specific teams. But uh, I'm completely – Edmonton and Vancouver's defensive units are – everyone's banking on Ekman Larson to be what he once was, and he hasn't been, and that's a big gamble. Quinn Hughes was not good defensively last year. Mind you, he was paired with Travis Hamannick and Hamannick was pretty down defensively ever since his third year with the flames. He hasn't really, wasn't really a play driver, but I've got, I've got questions and I don't, I don't see the Canucks and I, and I personally don't see the Kraken uh, having the years that everyone's expecting. And even the models, like I, 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 there's tons of models out there from tons of statistical websites, like, hockey biz and evolving hot wild and, and top down there's, there's tons. And some of them, they're all very, but I just, I, I, I see the flames as a playoff team. I think uh, they might miss the Daryl Sutter teams. When, uh, even when the Kings were dominating, they missed the, the year between their two cups, they missed the playoffs or the year after they missed, but they missed the playoffs and they missed by one point, but everyone was scared of them because if they sneak in, they can do it. They, they play the playoff style hockey all year long. They're not going to win the president's trophy. No one's expecting them to, but if they can sneak in, they can do some damage. And with the questions I have about the Oilers and Canucks defense, uh, the, the, the forward, the ability to score, who's going to the, the for the Kraken. 
I, I do see the Flames as a team that can get into the playoffs. And the only real threat and the only real threshold they really need to get by consistently is the Vegas Golden Knights. So, uh, but the Vegas also weak down the middle. Elite on the wings and elite at D and a solid goal with a good coaching system. Vegas looked really good against Seattle. Seattle also looked really good the other night too. Um, but I do expect uh, it's really going to come down to the head-to-head matchups within the division. And if Calgary can take care of business against these teams with very clear faults, then they'll be setting themselves up good. Uh, I think their expectations in the room are also playoffs. I, I wouldn't expect anything less. That's what this team wants. They want to try and win the Stanley Cup. Are they at that level? Well, we've seen Dallas and we've seen Montreal go to the cup final the last two years and then promptly get met by the machine that was the Tampa Bay Lightning. So, uh, you know, you can't definitively say no, but I'm going to knowledgeably say no because I I don't think they're a cup contender. They don't have that real one high-end piece up front. Uh, I love Johnny, but he needs help. Uh, I think Elias Lindholm is the best simultaneously both their best defensive center and their best goal finishing is the best shot natural shot on the team. And it's a lot to ask him to be both a shutdown center and a sniper. And so, so they, they, they could use a high end piece and their play early. And I guess I wanted to just make sure I said this on the podcast today is the flames runway isn't 82 games. Like a lot of other people, the flames runway 62. They have until the trade deadline to really figure out where they are and what they're going to be. They have expiring contracts and other things. So they're, they need to get off to a hot start. They can't afford, like most years you have 82 games of runway to evaluate and assess. They don't have that this year. They've got, I would say it's even uh, less than that. I think unless you know what you are by say Christmas, then you need to, if, if things are still, if things are discombobulated by mid season, then I think you need to take a hard look at things. American Thanksgiving is uh, what uh, Friedman always says. If uh, the, the standings after American Thanksgiving, which is the end of November, so basically December 1st, um, usually 14 out of 16 of the teams that are currently in a playoff spot stay in a playoff spot, statistically, over the history of years. So you need to be and, – and the Flames need to be open and honest with where they're at. If they get off to a bad start and they're in the hole – they really need to be able to say, okay, this isn't working. Let's do something. And it's, I'm interested to see what, because everything they did this year is for competing and it doesn't, you know, it'd be pretty hard to two months into a season say, well, that didn't work. So it's, it's interesting to see what the, how the, how the minds of, of, of the management staff is going to work as well as the on ice play of the players. So, it's good. It's really intriguing. There's lots of storylines following this team this year. So there's a lot to analyze and, and stay in touch with. So. Yeah. And uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I think the flames is comprised and composed. will need to play playoff style hockey to make the playoffs. So the good news is they'll be well, if they make it, they'll be well acquainted with the style of play they need to have to be successful, but it is a tough, tough style to play over 20 some games, let alone 82. So we'll see how they go. Uh, and the first game the Flames will play is on Saturday night 
We're starting it off in style Saturday night, 8 p.m. on CBC and I believe two of the five regional Sportsnet channels. Uh, Harner Ryan Singh and I believe Louis DeBrusque have the call. It's an 8 p.m. start. Probably it's a home opener for the Oilers, so it's like puck job at 8.15 or something like that. So turn on at 8, enjoy Harner Ryan and, uh, and DeBrusque and the CBC Sportsnet crew. Uh, 8, p.m., 8 p.m. game, so brew some coffee, get some pizza, stay up late, watch the Flames, and Connor McDavid too bad. It'll be a fun game. I hate saying nice things about the Edmonton Oilers for the obvious reasons, uh, but McDavid and Drysidler are just a fun duo to watch. So it'll be a, it'll be a good game and a good test for the Flames to see if they can do the kind of things they need to do. And then on Monday, uh, it's the home opener. I believe it's on Sportsnet West. Uh, the puck drops. The, the, the time for the broadcast is 7.30. It's the home opener, so it'll probably be a puck drop. Oh, it's I'd say 740, 745s. So if you don't want to watch anthems and ballyhoo and whatnot, tune in like 10 minutes later. You know, worst case, throw it on Sportsnet 960 to fan and listen to Pat Steinberg's dulcet tones along with Wills and Labardius. So, you know, first two games of an 82 game season, we'll see. I think it's going to be interesting to see what the Flames have up their sleeves because, you know, the, the common thread for the last few days of media has been the importance of a strong start for the flames because as our colleague Mike Gould has mentioned, the flames have the longest active opening night losing streak in professional sports. And if they can break that, if they can break that and if they can Mm -hmm. sort of get out to hypothetically, if they win six of 10 or seven of 10 to get going, especially with how many uh, division games they have coming up after that, I think they could, uh, they could surprise some people or they could go 500. We're going to continue having this conversation for another year. And uh, to all the listeners out there, uh, the last time the Flames did win a season opener was 2009. Uh, I heard a uh, fellow Flames Nation writer, Pat Steinberg, say it on the radio today. 2009. Um, I, I want to hear what you're doing. I want to hear like, – find the comment section, whether you found this on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and tell me, what were you doing in 2009? What were you doing the last time the Flames won up season opening game? I was in grade nine. <laughs> it's been a long time. I'm in my fourth year of university. I was in grade nine the last time the Flames won a uh, season opening game. So it's been a long time for me. Uh, I want to hear what everyone else is doing myself. This is uh, so f- answer on the Flames Nation Facebook and Twitter page. It'd be awesome. Yeah. Flames Nation was founded in February 2009 and the Flames have won one season opening game th- that the first one since then. So uh, much like my hiring on his flames at Flames Nation was immediately followed by a six month lockout. We'll take the L on that one, guys. We're sorry about that. Uh, that'll be all for us. Uh, thank you for listening to this inaugural episode. Uh, we'll be back. Most Thursdays, our, our plan is to record uh, an episode a week. If on, We're usually recording on Wednesdays. On the days that the Flames play on Wednesdays, we'll record on Thursdays. So you're looking at uh, most Thursdays and occasional Fridays during the season. And then if there's anything particularly newsworthy or important, we might uh, do some emergency podcasts here and there. But that's the plan. It'll be myself and a rotating cast of colorful characters. This week, Shane, we're going to try to get Mike Gould on next week because he uh, – 
he had some technical issues on his end and wasn't able to join us. Uh, and uh, as, as uh, Shane mentioned, make sure you check out the, the Flames Nation Facebook page because our colleague Pat Steinberg does Flames Nation live twice a week. Uh, so, you know, it's it's much more, it's less conversational, but much more interactive. You get to fire Pat Steinberg a bunch of questions about what's going on with the Flames and tell him what you're happy and or angry about at any given time. So it's always fun. Uh, I'm on with Pat once a week on that platform and Pat's beautiful and wonderful to chat hockey with. And, you know, there's no, I don't believe that there's necessarily going to be an overtime broadcast this year. I think we'll see what Sportsnet ends up doing. Hopefully they do something, but, but we'll see what happens, but at the very least be nice to Pat, listen to flames nation live. If you're, if you can't make his uh, Flames nation live broadcast, make sure that you check out on the, the nation network YouTube, because you know, there's no reason not to gaze upon Pat and listen to the wisdom he submits to us. So that'll leave it for the first episode. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.